Well, hello, friends. This reminds me of the nearly two years that we could only connect this way through a camera lens. It could have been worse. We survived. We learned how to love and support one another, even though we couldn't be in the same physical space. But now that we can, now that we can be, for those of you who have come out to in-person services again, it's been beautiful to rediscover the power of gathering. At least I think so. Well, today I'm going to try to wrap up this little series called Principles of Community based on a series of stories from the book of Acts. And we began this conversation the Sunday after Easter, way back when we, remember when we spread that long banquet table down the middle of church? It was a beautiful, beautiful memory from the earlier spring. And some of the strangest time in the church calendar is the time that falls between Easter and Pentecost, which is where we find ourselves now. It's an odd season of roughly 40 days. It's a strange time, and it's not just strange time for us. Imagine being among the friends of Jesus after he defeated death and came back from the grave. I like to think they probably thought he would never leave them again, that he would be with them forever. And he would, in a sense. There was a promised return, or at least there was a promised spirit that would descend or fall or rise or spontaneously combust or suddenly capture their consciousness in some way. Being alone wasn't in their future, even if they would have to learn to understand the presence of Jesus a bit more broadly. But we're not quite to Pentecost yet. That's next week. Today we celebrate Ascension Day, the day that the friends of Jesus were asked to do the impossible. You see, you could say Jesus was taken from them at crucifixion, betrayed, arrested, and murdered like a common criminal of empire. They had no control over the way things occurred the ho during Holy Week. But on Ascension Day, he wasn't exactly taken. He just floated away. And whether or not they understood it at that precise moment, they had no choice but to release him. They had to let him go. And after losing him once uh, at the crucifixion, I can imagine that they were in no mood to let him go again. Now Stan talks about it this way, and he mentioned it in the Sunday Leftover edition that we did on live stream earlier this, this week on Tuesday. Stan, th Stan says it this way, living a life of obedience to the way of Jesus had at least two parts. We all know the part, Matthew 28, 19, the part about going everywhere and baptizing everyone and making disciples. We call that the Great Commission. But there's another commission, not mentioned as often, but just as important. And it's what Jesus told Mary, the first disciple to encounter his resurrected body. He said, in Stan language, turn me loose. You gotta let me go. Every disciple everywhere has had to. There are no exceptions, but I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. So let's read our text briefly today. We're all the way back now to the beginning of the book of Acts where we started our story. And the reading comes from Acts chapter 1, verse 6 through 11, and I'll just read it. So when they had come together, they asked him, this is the disciples asking Jesus, Lord, is this the time that you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set, uh, set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Verse 9. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going and they were gazing up towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The ascension of Jesus. Now the verses just before this make it clear that Jesus had spent the past or the previous 40 days teaching his friends about the kingdom of heaven, which as you know, if you know me, isn't my favorite translation from the Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus actually spoke. 
I prefer the idea of a circle of mutual empowerment. I think that's actually what Jesus conveyed in Aramaic. But regardless, Jesus had spent a lot of time teaching them about the availability and the accessibility of the reign of God's love. But here in verse 6, the disciples, they're not asking about the kingdom of heaven. Notice, they're asking about the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. So Jesus is actively trying to prepare them for the universal availability of God's love, but they're still thinking about nationalism and tribal glory and which one of them might sit at the seat of greatest honor in this new regime. When will you restore the former glory of our greatest king, King David, ask the disciples. When will you put us back on top, our people, our tribe, back on top? Jesus, is it finally time? Yeah, so don't overlook the power of Ascension Day on our way to the upper room of Pentecost where the Spirit descends. Something had to disappear to make room for something else that day. Something had to be released. And I don't just mean a person. I mean an idea, an expectation, a complicated hope of a better future. They had to turn him loose, as it were. Their personal hero, their personal teacher, the very person that they had hoped would vindicate and elevate them personally was somehow slipping through their hands again. This, like everything else, was a pattern with Jesus. He said, the kingdom of heaven, and they hoped that they had heard him wrong. They hoped because what they wanted to hear was the kingdom of Israel. Oh, friend, there are so much similarities, so many things that we share in common with these disciples that sometimes I feel like we're almost indistinguishable. And here's the point about community that we need to grasp today. If our personal Savior only exists to liberate and vindicate us personally, then we better let that go. We have to turn that loose. The clouds are going to need to take from us now any remaining sense that Jesus belongs to us, to our tradition, to our tribe. The scope of the reign of God's love and influence was never just Israel. So so let's move slowly now. Let's not rush. We're getting somewhere important. I think most of us see the ascension as this great victorious bookend at the end of the life of a really nice man named Jesus. The details of this story are so familiar to us that we breeze through them unaware. But this wouldn't have felt like victory to anyone there at the time on the side of that hill. This, in my opinion, is one of the darker days of the church calendar. This was a major loss. This was another death. This was the worst possible ending to a narrative that could have been turned around. It could have been so simply turned around with just a small war, Jesus, you know, a small revolution of some kind to restore the independence and the autonomy of Israel. These disciples weren't asking for much, really, just a little justice that they were due. But no, there would be no revolution, no political rebellion. Jesus submitted himself to a notorious public death on the outskirts of town between two thieves, two beloved thieves, I should add. And while it may have seemed over to his friends, it wasn't. Jesus rescued the narrative gloriously. He staged a comeback, a spectacular turnaround. He walked out of the grave they laid him in. Jesus was done dying. But at the same time, that same thing was not true for his friends. Ascension Day was the day their expectations would now be expected to die. Oh, I think Jesus kept his promises to his disciples, at least as far as I'm aware. But the power that they craved, the power that they waited in line for, the power that they were promised was to be a different kind of power altogether. A kind of power that would undo power itself. They want to know, is now the glorious time of your, our dominion, Lord? Give us the kingdom of Israel. But no, why think so small, suggests Jesus. 
I give you instead the kingdom of heaven which features all people, not just Israel. I give you a world without tribe or national allegiance. I give you exactly what the ancients saw, exactly what the great mystics and spiritual masters of all ages and faith traditions dreamed of. I give you all that, but you can't have any of it till you turn me loose. You see, friends, the real power begins when we let go of Jesus. Now that I think of it, I'm not sure if I'm ending a series now or processing or setting us up for Pentecost or both. I'll bet you can begin to see how all of this connects. This kind of love and universal availability of the life of God cannot be held onto, friends. You can't grip it. You can't own it. It has no bit, no bridle, no boundaries whatsoever. And there you have it. The most important thing about Jesus, he must be released again and again and again. He cannot be held onto. You don't get to keep him if you understand him perfectly. He isn't your prized possession of those who believe correctly or of the insiders or even of the beloved outsiders. No, no. It's as if the closer you get to him, the more you have to release Jesus. Something important died on the side of that little mountain that day. And even though Luke paints a nice picture of the end result in chapter 24 of the gospel that he wrote just a little bit earlier, here in Acts he admits that disciples, the disciples were so stunned and guffawed that two guys dressed like angelic messengers had to literally tell these folks to close their open mouths and go home. They had spent so long grasping and clenching and gripping what they had no choice but to release now. So this final thought, what do we do with all of this? What do we have here? I told you that we'd end up, we would do a strange little chronological journey through the book of Acts and we'd end up back at the beginning, essentially ending up where it all begins. And we have, we've done just that. We looked at Saul's conversion. We talked about how before he had a chance to learn the teachings of Jesus, he knew inclusion was the point. We talked about Peter's vision and how the works of the faithful will always be to look back at previous revelation informed by new experiences until all things are seen as clean. We've seen lightning bolts and church councils and non-kosher animals descending from heaven in in a low blood sugar induced trance. We've seen a young community grapple with its identity. We've reminded ourselves that that they were infants, not archetypes. We've been looking for the principles upon which to build our community. And although there are certainly other stories to tease from this material, there is one byline that has held my attention all the way through, and it is, in my estimation, the single most important principle of community, radical inclusion. Radical inclusion isn't a cool scope of mission or a goal of, or, or, or the goal or spiritual product distribution. Radical inclusion isn't a kitschy value or an innovative, distinctive, or unique characteristic. No, no. Radical inclusion is the very gospel itself. It's the only message that actually sets free. And unless it's about setting all things free, don't try to locate it in the teachings of Jesus. You won't find it. And what, pray tell, is the biggest obstacle to the next great thing that God wants to do in the world? Well, just the last great thing God did in the world if we can't release it. Friends, the best news of all is that Jesus didn't come to restore the kingdom of Israel. The best news of all is that the kingdom, that a kingdom of any kind, is far too small of a concept now to contain what love is up to in the real world. Let's build on this. Let's build a church on this. The most popular pastime for progressives that I know of is to quit church altogether. And I don't fault them. They've been hurt inside the walls of institutional religion. Christianity has failed them. Religion hasn't delivered what it promised. But has Jesus failed them? Has love let them down? 
I still see so much goodness, so much light, so much freedom in the teachings of Jesus. So many reasons to believe that after all these years, we have yet to actually try building a world this way. So here's my appeal to you. At the end of a tiny series on the principles of community squeezed between Easter and Pentecost, Let's find them. Let's find these principles, all of them. Let's not abandon the Christian faith. Every previous tree ring has had its place. No need to abolish or erase. We understand prior revelation as integral to being here. Now, we don't go backward, we go forward, but we don't have to quit Christianity altogether. Let's stay in it and be a part of Christianity's reform, of its rebirth, of its renewal. When will you establish my personal kingdom, Lord, says the disciples? What kingdom, says love? There is only freedom now for all. Yes, even for them, insert Samaritans or whoever grosses you out the most. And then love says, now let me go. And close your slack jaw and find your way home. And in case none of it makes sense, which how could it have? Just be patient. Stay together. Eat, drink, and wait. If you can let me go your eyes will be opened to the animating force that infuses all things. Happy Ascension Day, friends. I pray that your hearts will be ready for the outpouring of the Spirit next week that we will celebrate together. We will see you then.